I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking um, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Welcome back to the podcast known as Talking Um uh, Jimmy Stewart. I'm your host, Tim Vanderberg, and as you can see, I've been holding out on you. We have one more lost recording. What you're about to hear is the final audio gem given to us from William Martin, whose grandfather, Pete Martin, had interviewed Jimmy on several occasions for the Saturday Evening Post, starting back in 1961. This recording, based on some of the things discussed, appears to be from 1977. It was not labeled as such in the original recordings and was given to us in the middle of the digitized audio we received. Now, as you listen, Big Jimmy fans will hear some stories that you're familiar with, but perhaps not in this detail, such as the one about Jimmy portraying an Austrian count on Broadway and the hilarious events that occurred. Overall, this interview is a bit more lively than the one from 1979, and I'm happy to share that it also has better audio. A quick note. At about 10 minutes in, Pete stops to change the tape, which you will hear. Okay, let's get to it. I just finished a picture with Lassie. And I say with Lassie, and I mean it. Up where? Where'd you make it? Right because it's, it, the picture is called Lassie, My Lassie, <clears throat> with James Stewart and... Uh, Parnell Roberts and Stephanie Stephanie Zimbalist S-T-E-P-H that's about as far as I can get E-N-I Stephanie Stephanie wonderful little girl and a fellow by the name of Michael Sharrett excellent people but as I say it's for Lassie I'm doing it for Jack Rather who owns the rights to the Lassie and the Lone Ranger and uh, we did it up in the wine country up at uh, Santa Rosa and it was very nice what I part did you play the grandfather the grandfather of these two kids they're my son and his wife were killed in an automobile accident. And uh, I'm taken care of. Uh, I mean, me and Lassie. And, and Lassie gets lost. And it's, uh, it's the first time she's been, she's been back. Uh, she's a he, by the way. Always has been. Uh, first time she's been back for, for around 20 years, I think. I bet she makes up like a million bucks, too. I just might guess. But it was a very pleasant experience. Very nice people. Good, good crew. Followed by the name of, of Don Caffey who directed the latest uh, Disney picture that just, op uh, just opened. Uh, I forgot the name of it. And a uh, very good director. Australian, I think. And uh, 
the Disney picture opened about three days ago and, and uh, has has gotten excellent reviews. And I have I did a part, very small part in a picture called The Big Sleep, a remake. Bogart and Bacall did it. I don't know uh, Don uh, Bob, Bob Mitchum and uh, Sarah, not Sarah Miles, the English uh, Miles girl that was married to. I forget who she was married to. Thomas Bolt, was she? Miles. Anyway, quite a cast thing. And uh, I went over, I, I just went down to loop some stuff that he brought over. It followed the name of Michael Winter. What does loop mean to uh, people who don't know? He, uh, what does loop mean? I didn't mean to think. Well, the, the, we used to do it all the time at Metro when sound was just coming in. And there would be a noise behind you, or uh, you'd you'd not fluff the line, but it, it it was a lisp or something. They they make a loop of the part of the film that they want to correct. Then they they draw lines across the picture frame by frame gets closer and closer to the end to, to the right of the picture they first give you some dots to prepare you for it then the line starts and at the end of the line looking at yourself speaking and 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 uh, seeing the getting the signal for the dot you speak and change the uh, change the the single line that's it's they don't do it this way that this I think is by far the best way now they wouldn't have a chance to do that in television anymore would it too fast isn't it? too fast but uh, and too expensive yeah uh, now they give you a pair of earphones and give you the line you're supposed to uh, you're supposed to say they they have the lines of the other people or the other person that is in the scene with you and they other person gives you a cue then there are three blips and you talk on the third blip which isn't nearly as uh, nearly as good as seeing the picture up there, but of course it's more expensive and takes more people. Uh, which is one of the things we have to face here, just like we have so many industries have to face, so many uh, organizations, museums, uh, almost sports officials have to. What did the painting? Is it a painting of you at this Oklahoma or is it a photograph? It's a painting. The fella came up, he, he painted it. He How'd came, you like it? I'd die to see it. I've paid 18 bucks for it so far. Uh, it's, 
it's pretty good. I uh, they uh, had uh, they signed Norman Rockwell. It is signed, really, to do it for me, and I couldn't do it. I was doing a picture in England, and uh, I just I just we, we just couldn't make the uh, he had s s assignments and we couldn't make it. This fellow, I forget his name. I think it's very good. It's a little heavier than I am, but it's Western. It's got pie in it, my horse, and it's sort of, a, sort of a, in, a, in a place where, although he's not right up beside me, it's a very distinct place so, so that you can see uh, the horse, which I love. And uh, I I I I like the painting. I think it's all right. As I say, it's a little. I'm a little huskier than I'm. Uh, I am. Tell me, Jimmy, was there anything with you about a story about you and John Ford and some hats, a couple of hats that he wanted you to wear one hat and you wanted to wear another hat? I had a recollection of that. Yeah, that's the first time I'd really had a talk with him about. I think he. He had this hat. Uh, Who wore it? I, I, everybody? I, I, I think. Or was it Duke Wayne's hat? I think it was one of Duke's hats, and I, uh, I, I sort of wish now I'd worn it, because although I had, I had come to think that this hat I had was a good luck piece, because it got a notice in my first western. What they say about a nice hat? I said, no, it just said the only real-looking cowboy hat I've ever seen. <laughs> well, you know, you can't help but be that. impressed <laughs> with that. So I just kept the hat. I I kept it under lock and key when it was home here, and I just got attached to it. But uh, the th the thing sort of changed. I think Duke had the right hat, the right type of hat. Always did. Uh, but this is a good one. I still have it out there. And I, I didn't wear it for that picture. I wore it for another picture that Ted Mapes, my double and stand-in for 20 years, gave me for Christmas. And uh, I, 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 I think it's a decent picture. I'm, I'm I'm glad it's there. I have my have my flight jacket, flying jacket. Uh, where is that? Oh, at the Aviation Hall of Fame uh, in uh, Dayton, Ohio. I go back there every every so often. They have a very nice thing. They they. Uh, They vote on and pick a an aviation pioneer like Rickenbacker and Doolittle and uh, Fleet and uh, a lot of the men that were were in on the in on the early times of of uh, pick of uh, aviation and. Uh, 
they they have a museum there that has been done by contribution and everything, and they asked me to send send them my flight jacket, which I kept from the war, and it's safe there. I have it. Ben, that the book that's going. I saw it a couple of nights ago when I got there. A movie of you made 30 years ago. Zero miles up to take the girl. And it didn't seem to be Jimmy Stewart at all. It was you talked fast, you moved fast. It wasn't my old friend, slow, move poking Jimmy Stewart that I so fond of at all. Did they make you move fast in those early days? Did they speed you up? Did they goose you in some way, Jimmy, to make you move? Do you remember the picture I'm talking about? That's a hell of a long time ago. Yes, I remember being conscious uh, of this uh, ham-haw uh, kick-the-stuff uh, type of thing. And I, especially when I was at MGM, uh, I... Uh, made an attempt to uh, speed things up. I, I, I definitely uh, made an attempt. I remember in the work I did with Henry Coster, who directed Harvey and who directed some comedies I did for 20th Century Fox, and Mr. Hobbs Takes a Vacation and Take Her, She's Mine. He directed No Highway in the Sky. Well, that was one of my favorite, very favorite. Uh, but he directed him, and he would, he would keep me from lapsing into that thing. He'd he'd stop, and uh, he'd say, "Well, I think the whole thing was all right, but it seemed tired to me," uh, which I thought was a very good piece of direction, and I knew exactly what he meant, and uh, I it it would just. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a matter of not so many pauses. It's a matter of not so many hems and haws. It's, it's a matter of just pulling things together and not, uh, not rattling stuff off, uh, you know, like you're reading the dictionary. The, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of that, too, and... Uh, some people get away with it, but uh, it's, it's, it takes a certain personality to do that. There's only one other question out there, if you give me to rerun a little bit. Of, from Princeton, how the hell did you get in the movies anyhow? I know that's been asked you a hundred times, but give me once more. Well, it was... What were you doing, taking architecture at Princeton? Yes, and uh, did quite well in it. I almost flunked out when I tried. Uh, uh, I started out being a civil engineer and then changed over because I was no good at arithmetic, let alone calculus. And... Uh, then I, I studied political science for a while. This left me gasping. Uh, it was sort of by accident that I got into architecture. I always had a little talent with the pen. I'm in prep school. I 
did cartoons for the school magazine and so on, and I, uh, and I took to architecture right away and graduated and got a scholarship to return and get my master's in uh, architecture in graduate school. All during this time, I'd been in three years of triangle shows, and uh, they were done mostly by Josh Logan and Bertane Windust and Myron McCormick. Who? You said they made most of those triangle shows. Well, in in that time, yes, he made most of them. Was he in college then? Yes. And they also, during the summer, uh, Josh Logan and Windust and a man named Charlie Leatherby, who was the brother of uh, uh, Mary Leatherby, who worked for time for so long, who was killed up here on, on, on an assignment. Uh, they all formed a company called the University Players. While they were in school? Uh, while they were in school. They uh, had a small theater in Falmouth, Massachusetts, uh, that was near Leatherby's home. Summertime theater? Th summertime theater. It was sort of the second place. Provincetown was the well-known place, but the... Uh, uh, Falmouth uh, got more popular and uh, fond of my senior year asked me to come up there. He didn't really ask me as an actor. He he said there was a tea room connected with the place and and uh, I played the I played the accordion in the triangle shows. And he said, uh, you can work in the tea room and play the accordion. Right? Well, I didn't last very long as an accordionist. Not because, not because uh, well, it was sort of a strange reason why I didn't last. I, they just came up and flat out said that uh, my playing caused people to lose their appetite. And, and this cut in on the business of the tea room, so they fired me. So I was in limbo for a while, but then they, uh, they, uh, I painted things. Not I painted the outside of the theater. I painted scenery. I uh, was assistant director. Uh, I was stage manager. I was uh, all sorts of things. Then they started giving me small parts, and uh, but this time it was time for me to go back to school. And just then, a man by the name of Arthur Beckhart, who was a producer in, uh, you remember another language play in New York in the 30s? Well, Arthur Beckhart, uh, quite a well-known producer, had a, had a play called Goodbye Again. I remember that one very well. With uh, Osgood Perkins, Sally Bates. Um, Sally Bates married Pearl Lorenz, my dear friend. Is that right? Best man in the wedding. I'll be darned. Well, they were in this, and they tried this play out in Washington, in, in Falmouth. And uh, I played the part of a chauffeur 
who comes in on the first act and uh, wants uh, Osgood Perkins is a writer and he's doing a tour uh, advertising his book and uh, I come in and my the woman I drive wants his autograph. This is Mayweather. I forget who I, it was. I, I read it and uh, I, I was on the stage two minutes and uh, got a couple of laughs and left. Myron McCormick was in it as the bellhop of the hotel. He was on it though, through, throughout the play. Uh, we were on the top floor of the Mask Theater on 45th Street and uh, our dressing room. And we rented a ping pong table and played ping pong during the time we weren't uh, on. But I, a lot of the time I just spent watching, uh, watching Perkins. And uh, well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because this was after I arrived to New York. When I came home from Falmouth, and announced to my family that I wasn't going back to graduate school, that I was going to New York and try to be an actor. My father reached for a chair and sat down. Uh, my mother, bless her heart, said, well, if that's what you want to do, all right. And uh, don't forget us. And uh, the day before I left, my uncle came down, my father's brother, and he, he was a very practical lawyer in town. He said, well, uh, nobody in the Stewart family has ever been connected with the theatrical business except one, Horace Stewart, a uh, distant relative, uh, joined the circus, and he's in jail now. Uh, but good luck, which uh, was was n not the kindest uh, uh, ado I have had. But anyway, that's the way it started. Uh, you could say pretty much by Who chance. Back to New York, then? And I started. The play was a hit. Play ran a year. Goodbye again. Oh, yeah. And from then I started as. Henry Fonda was there, and Kent Smith, and Myron McCormick, and uh, uh, Margaret Sullivan. There's some strange story about how you tried to open the door, and the door broke, and you couldn't close it again up at Falmouth, and you got the biggest laughs in the show. Is that completely apocryphal? Did somebody make that up? No, that wasn't made up. Well, that, tell, tell me about it, Jimmy. But it wasn't up in Falmouth. It was opening night in New York at the Schubert Theater. Goodbye again? No, no, this was way after, this was four years after Goodbye Again. This was, I was playing the part of an Austrian count. So you, you can see I needed the money. <laughs> and I was doing a thing called Journey by Night that the Schuberts had had out on the road twice, once with Pola Negra and another time with somebody else, and it had folded in Pittsburgh. But it was a complicated show, a lot of scenery, and they hated to throw away the scenery, so they kept that stored 
and uh, they found a girl by the name of Greta Marin who was to play the lead. And we tried it out in Boston uh, with not very encouraging results, but Bob Sinclair directed it. But uh, they brought it into New York, and first night, I'll never forget it. I, I, uh, I had, I, uh, it, it was a very dreary play. I run away with my brother's wife. I steal money from the bank, and uh, the, my brother's wife and I don't get along very well, and I finally end up drowning her in the Danube. Well, you know, a <laughs> cheery little thing. But uh, this this opening night, the door right in the center of the stage, we were in a hotel room, we'd run away, but the man that was going to give me the money that I'd stolen was to knock on the door, which he did, and I couldn't open the door. And I couldn't, and the man back behind the screen said, open the door. And I didn't give up, though. And the first, at first the audience were restless, and then they were sort of, oh, isn't that a shame? But then they started to laugh. And then the phone rang. Well, it wasn't supposed to ring till after I played the scene with the fallen he'd left. But I, in my panic, I went over, but then I didn't know what to say. So I just said, you have the wrong number. And, <laughs> and on the way back, I thought, you know, in the, in, in, when you're in panic, you, your mind wanders and you think of everything, your survival. And I thought that the door was stuck on the rug, which I noticed was, was sort of uh, thick. So I thought if I lifted up on the door on the knob, it would free the door and open. Well, of course, when you're in panic, also you're probably stronger than you usually are. So I lifted up on the knob, and the whole set came up. Not just the door, but the whole set. The whole set. And you could see people walking around back time, and this poor man standing. Yeah, this poor man standing by the door. Well, I let the thing drop. The thing dropped. A chandelier fell off. The door opened, and the man came in. And we played the scene. I understand you got the biggest laugh in history. Well, well, but this time the audience was in hysterics. And and this fortunately was pretty near the end of the first act. And uh, uh, I finished the first act, end of the first act, finished the first act. And uh, it was a terrifying thing to think that I had two more acts to go. But we got through it all right. Josh Logan came back to see me. I said, well, what am I going to do? He said, I, if I was you, I'd shoot myself. <laughs> tell me about the reviews, though. They tell me they were terrific. They said the funniest thing in the show, as I understand. The review I still have. Uh, I, I think it's a natural thing. Uh, they said, James, this was... Austria, James Stewart in the part of so-and-so, 
plays the part like a wandering tourist on the banks of the Danube. Of all with uh, Brooks Atkinson was was the uh, uh, originator of that, and I've always had, and I've always remembered that. But it uh, uh, it lasted three nights. Why 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 three? I don't know. I, I, uh, the door opened all right for the two nights, but on the third night we closed. Tell me, how did you have to come to Hollywood? Is that anything to do with a play with Maggie Stewart? I mean Maggie. Sullivan? Yeah. No. No, the movies... Well, what, what led you to be signed by the first contract? I was given a test. Yes. The movies used to have scouts all over the place. They had, had, had scouts in a lot of the colleges. They had scouts that would go to every play uh, on Broadway and uh, were looking for people. The first thing would be to contact you, and you would go up to a place on 55th Street West and uh, have your picture taken in a camera, and they'd ask you just sort of your appearance. Then later on, they got me to do a scene with a girl by the name of Hansi Castle who was in a Guthrie McClinic play that I was in with uh, Judith Anderson. Uh, I did a scene from that play, and through that, uh, Billy Grady, who was casting director of MGM, uh, called me out and offered me uh, this contract, which is the regular seven-year contract, starting at 350 a week and with uh, three months options, and then year options, and so on. So I, that, that's the way I got out here. Well, I mean, I'm just about run out of here. You got anything you want to talk about? You must have, in the sense I talked to you, you must have thought of one or two things you want to tell me, anyhow. Well, it, uh, I, uh, usually the, the uh, stuff you hear so much is complaints and uh, not complaint. so I I'm not a I really guy. I really feel that that I have been complaints. I I really feel that I've been tremendously fortunate and that I've had a wonderful life. Uh, I like to feel that I. Uh, have have added something to the to the picture business. It uh, it gives me a great thrill when somebody comes up to me and says, "I don't know whether this means anything to you, but my wife and I have enjoyed you, and you've given us much enjoyment uh, over over the years." Uh, I uh, this this kind of a thing. A, a sort of spells it out to me that uh, my my life hasn't been wasted. I've uh, it's been ex- exciting to me. This is my research on you. 
I've done a hell of a lot of research. Yeah. Well, that one day, Jim, he doesn't remember the place or the time. One man said, if it means anything to you over the years, you have given me a lot of pleasure and entertainment. Yeah, it means plenty. Uh, that's that's what I've tried to make my life all about. Well, you said it better than I did. No, I no, said pretty well yourself. But I, I really believe that. I, uh, I really believe that if I have done that, I, I, every day from now on is, is just a bonus for me. I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I feel that very strongly. I, uh, I don't want to quit and sit, and uh, I don't particularly want to write a book. I don't want to. Uh, what you used it for is candle, anyhow. Uh, I don't. I don't want to teach. Uh, I don't think. Uh, I don't think I have the sort of the personality to teach. In other words, I, I'm afraid I'm not articulate enough to teach. Uh, other than that, I, uh, as I say, I, I don't want to quit. I, I have a thing going now to do Harvey in Australia. Uh, I hope I can do that. Uh, I've become so fond of Harvey as a play, uh, it's it's more than just a, uh, I, I don't know how many times I've done it, how many times I've played it, and hundreds and hundreds of times. Tell me, Jimmy, isn't an awful important part of Harvey, people like Helen Hayes and the, that little, the little women involved, the, who was the one in the movie, I can't remember her. Josephine Howe, yeah, she originated with I'm Frank Fay. They're both so good. That's, how are you going to find somebody like that in Australia? That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. I'm waiting for film on three people that they, I've been advised, uh, could be capable of doing. I did it in London for six months, and uh, Mo Mona Washburn, a, a very well-known English actress played it, and uh, she was right for it. She was very good, but the play itself and Harvey—it's—it's uh, it's more than just having your favorite play. It's—it's it's, Harvey has affected me in a lot of ways, and I—you—you. Well, I—I don't know whether I've told you this before, but I. Every once in a while, a fella comes up to me in a crowd and someplace, right? Usually, he's not dressed very well. Usually, he looks as though he either has just had a drink or needs one. And uh, But he's very fluent and uh, very serious. And he just comes up to me and says, is Harvey with you? And I said... I, 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 it uh, sort of set me back the first, the first couple of times. But, well, uh, that, that's what set me back because the man was very serious. So I, uh, 
I have made up the thing that uh, when he says, is Harvey with you? I say, no, I, I left him at home because he has a cold. And the man said, well, the next time you see him, give him my regards, will you? And he's not kidding. And, he, and he's not kidding, and he walked away. That's fantastic. And, and this is something... This is something a little extra. I, I found this same thing in England where dozens of people would write me who had never been inside a legitimate theater, who'd never seen uh, a play, but they had, had were moviegoers and they... Uh, they they talk their kids. Oh, it's still going. Still going. Uh, they talk their kids, and they told told the kids about this man with the big white rabbit. But they they wrote me, and they'd say we we didn't realize uh, that you could get a, uh, become so engrossed in something in the theater. We've we've become engrossed in movies and in television, but we didn't know that the theater would engross you even more. And I, uh, in this day and age, when things are kind of rough for us over here in England, as they are in a lot of places, it's it's nice to be with a crowd of people, and when the play ends and they file out, you look at the people around you and they all have a smile on their face. I thought that, I, I, uh, makes it worthwhile, Jimmy. That makes it worthwhile. If I'd, if I'd been a part of, of doing that for two hours and bringing people from the everyday chores and everyday uh, problems and anxieties that are present everywhere today. If you could, if you could do this to them for a couple of hours and then have have them all come out smiling, uh, I'm very proud of that. It's worth it, isn't it? It's worth everything. That's what I mean. You're doing just fine. I love these thoughts of yours. It's a, uh, they, 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 they told me a, another thing that I've, I've heard before, but I never took it quite as seriously because these people seem very serious about it in writing about it. They said I've, I, uh, and gave their age, which was right up there. My husband and I have watched you on the screen uh, for years, but uh, although we never go to the theater, uh, we both wanted to see what you looked like in the flesh. And it got me to thinking, and what, that means, I, I, what, what it really means is that there is something of a, a magic 
about movies, even more than television, because you you gather and are in a group of people, and and see this come up on on the screen, and the the people, although they sometimes can convince you and take you right in to their very thoughts and uh, sometimes they get a feeling that those people can't be real that there's something and and there's the magic there's the magic that I think uh, the old boys like Harry Cohen and uh, Daryl Zanuck and all the Warners and uh, Freeman and uh, those people had a great love for their business, the movies. And they also, I think all of them, had a tremendous respect for the audience and a tremendous judgment about what the audience would like. And they were, they, they were clear in their ideas about how to tell a story on the screen and it was very straightforward it, no tricks it was very straightforward with a, a beginning a middle and an end and I, I uh, I've never forgotten that along with a Gee, I, I, I may have said this to you in the last interview we had, but I, a fellow that, a fellow that uh, said something that affected me very much in about my third picture when I got out here. We were in a limousine. It was Ted Healy, the original Ted Healy with the Three Stooges. And... Uh, he was a man that was funny all the time. He, he looked at the world on and off. On and off. He, he looked at the world with, uh, as, as something to make people laugh, as a, as a joyous place. But suddenly he turned to me and he said, well, you know, you, that's a rough place out here. No, you, nobody knows has the answers nobody there are no experts on who's going to make it and who isn't but uh, you you uh, you may do it if you keep keep at it and keep up don't get discouraged uh, but one thing you ought to remember you ought to consider the audience not customers you ought to consider them as partners and I've never forgotten it. Very wise, isn't it? I've never forgotten it by, uh, uh, ever since that. When I'd read a script, I'd sort of read it with myself in mind. But when I'd come to something that was a little, uh, a little uneven, and that I wasn't sure uh, was something I would like, I would think of the audience and think of what, what would a family. Uh, in the audience, what would they think if if I do a thing like like this? 
And I, I've, I've never forgotten Ted Healy for that. I think it was a very wise piece of advice. He's awful good, this man of yours. I guess you know that. How's Mamselle? Oh, uh, okay. All right, I... Almost through three, three more minutes, one more, two yeah. more minutes. Last question, really. How, how did you happen to get selected to be in that Oklahoma Cowboy Hall of Fame, Jimmy? Well, I made a picture. I'd love to see it. I've ordered one for myself, but I haven't got it yet. I've, I've, I made a, a good many pictures. Have you seen the award? No. I'll, sh I'll, I'll show it to you in a minute. Yeah, uh, that's an awful nice thing. Trust me, what it says on the award. Does it say something on it? Uh, yeah, I'll get it for you here. Okay, the recording stops here for a moment while Jimmy retrieved the award. Then, as William Martin informed us, the tape suddenly ends a couple minutes later. There had been some repair done on the original recording, and through the effects of time on adhesive tape, some of the audio had been lost. But Mr. Martin sent us everything that he could. So here we go with the last couple of minutes. Read it to me, Jimmy. This is a, uh, a Cowboy Hall of Fame award that I got in 1972. Uh, it's a sort of a bronze statue of a of a real looking cowboy. I was hoping it was a poster of you, really. No, well, I, the, uh, the, there is a portrait, but it's back in the, uh, this was the award they gave me. Uh-huh. Uh, this says Western Heritage Wrangler Award, the National Cowboy Hall of Fame and Western Heritage Center. James Stewart actor, outstanding contribution to the West through mo motion picture elected to the Hall of Fame of Great Western Performers, 1972. Have you got that picture? I'd love to see it. Is it inconvenient? Very nice thing. I've been there. And, uh, Who else are some of the other people in there? Oh, Duke and... and uh, uh, Cooper? Well, that was an abrupt ending, but I think you'll agree a lot of great stuff here. Did you have any favorite moments? Let's hear them. Please post your comments at the Jimmy Stewart Museum page on Facebook or on Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, it would help us if you left a review. Finally, I hope you'll make your plans to visit the Jimmy Stewart Museum in the near future. I'm Tim Vandenberg. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>